Claggett, welcome back to the program. Thank you for being with us this week. And we're going to let Paul Fanner uh, run the interview for the next uh, 25 minutes. Great, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Francisque. And hello, John Claggett. Good afternoon and uh, welcome. thank you so much for putting this together. Well, it's, it's one, it's uh, my privilege to uh, spend some time with you. I want to give full disclosure to uh, our audience. Uh, I, Paul Fenner, am a Trans Am fan from day one. The first time I ever saw a road race in person was a Trans Am race. I love the series and I particularly appreciate you, John Claggett. Aside from being a good friend, you have uh, been a central figure in bringing this sport back to where it needs to be in the, the public eye. And Trans Am is now uh, gaining stature and gaining momentum with every season. And we're gonna talk about that today. So thank you for all you do for the sport. I think that- uh, Thank you, and one of the things that's most interesting when I talk to my competitors is most of them were fans like you and me at one point in their life. Uh, and when they uh, were able to put together racing programs, they steered their individual efforts to Trans Am. Well, I can see why. After watching your races, uh, there, uh, there's not, you know, I just by way of background, if you haven't seen a modern Trans Am race, what you're seeing in so many ways at the in the Trans Am class itself, not not the TA2 class, which has its own allure, but the Trans Am class is. They really are these effectively unrestricted, high horsepower beasts. They're cruise missiles. Uh, and watching them accelerate and watching them perform and be driven, they're, they're cars that are being manhandled or women handled in some cases uh, very well. Uh, and uh, they're spectacular. Uh, it, there's just no doubt that the driver is doing the work when you watch these cars. And, you know, is that underneath the philosophy of what you're doing, John? with the series is this driver well, forward? For, for sure, one of the underlying philosophies of, of it was to create a series that was attainable with today's you know, racing budgets on a non-factory level. Yeah. And, and so our niche is that niche. And, <clears throat> and then if you kind of drill down one step from there, uh, purpose-built tube frame silhouette race cars was being underappreciated by the car manufacturers in 2010 and on. And it created that opportunity for us to say, that's going to be our niche. And, yeah. you know, I'm paying homage to the Trans Am of 1968 on my backdrop there. That's actually 69. Uh, so Let's not get confused as to what the modern day looks yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, the modern day is contemporary bodied uh, race cars, 200 mile per hour. Uh, and as you alluded to, no driver aids, no traction control. And it's mano o mano style racing. No, no uh, sharing the cockpit, no uh, 200, 300 mile races, it's 100 mile sprint races, uh, man and machine against man and machine, and uh, as well as Amy Ruman and others that have uh, joined oh, us on the team. I will add, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I refer to as the champ because she is. 
and she earned that. And I think that that's what's so incredible about these this series is that the story of this series is at the, the heart of the story of American road racing. And uh, that that picture you have uh, behind you, uh, I believe, is, is the 1969 season. I, I recognize it because that was the year I first went to a Trans Am race. I was at, at the season finale at Riverside. And what I saw that day was something that's never quite been matched in my expectations since. <laughs> because the cars looked like real cars. And I see that now when I go to your r races, even though these are tube frame race cars, especially the TA2 cars, they have the visual appeal in, 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 a, in a pretty uh, unfiltered way. They look like a Camaro, a Mustang, or a Challenger. They look like the road car. And uh, they're not over, overly styled or overly, overly stretched. And how important is that to the, you know, I guess the, uh, the business model of Trans Am. Well, very, very important, Paul. I think if you go back and say, what were all the series around in 1960? Or yeah. those that came around in the 70s and 80s and 90s? And what's the one series that has survived the test of time? Right. And that is the Trans Am series. That is the answer. The Trans yeah. Am series as, uh, as the test of time and racing uh, peaks and valleys, the Trans Am is there. And and at this point in time, uh, I almost consider where we are in 2022 as a new chapter where uh, a lot of incredibly good things are going to be coming on our way, uh, you know, including a full season TV package for Trans Am and TA2. Uh, again, in 2022, details to be announced soon as one of the things that it's going to be really cool for fans. And I will admit that I have foreknowledge of this package and I am so excited uh, and uh, fantastic, John. And I can't wait till the rest of the world knows about this um, because uh, this, is a, this is something that should not be a secret. Uh, if you watch uh, a Trans Am race, I think you're a fan forever. Um, and I watched a Trans Am race uh, this May, uh, came from Indianapolis, uh, left uh, uh, on, on carb day and got to Indianapolis to watch the Trans Am on, uh, on Saturday. Uh, and I watched a spectacular race. It was a wet race, but I literally stood on that hillside and didn't move uh, watching uh, not only a great race, but just watching in awe of how good the drivers are and how they were dealing with these incredibly tough conditions in these really fast cars. Um, and, you know, when you look at this, you know, you've got this platform now that you've worked so hard to build. It's starting to attract some real talent from other forms of racing. Your current champion is a former IMSA champion, Chris Dyson. You had your yeah. You know when when we took uh, the Trans Am brand and and started to build it, it was 2011 yeah. uh, under this ownership group, and there was a, a executive uh, in motorsports that came up to me really early on, and he said, "Can I ask one question, John?" I go, "Sure, go ahead." Goes, "Why did anybody think Trans Am was worth saving?" And I was like taken aback by that. 
but it also offered me a personal challenge for the next uh, 20, you know, eight, nine years now at this point. And, you know, to that, you know, I think, again, it's the test of time where we put some basics in place. Um, an interesting formula that had been underprescribed, attainable budgets for teams yes. without factory support, yes. bucket list racetracks that people wanted to go to, and then a novel concept that sometimes get lost, treating our customers or our competitors as customers. And, you know, rule stability so that we weren't redoing a rule book and costing competitors more money every year. And I think that's maybe the, the secrets of our success. And in the case of TA2, um, we were able to harness that from almost its, its birth in 2011, putting things in place like a specific list of chassis builders, a specific list of engine builders, so that as it grew successful, the success wasn't going to be part of its demise, meaning yeah. Yeah. This, the demand uh, for more and more competitors ultimately leads to greed from uh, people who are providing rides to the, that group. We were able to kind of control all of that. And it was uh, maybe dumb luck um, that that formula emulated uh, the Xfinity series formula yeah. as far as power to weight, where it started to attract NASCAR kids, uh, Ty Dillon was the very first to come and say, yeah. hey, there's something here in TA2 that's helping me uh, build um, my racecraft. Mm -hmm. And now 20-some NASCAR kids later, uh, you know, it seems like we've just got a lot of uh, momentum there. And having those kind of kids attracted the top and up-and-coming sports car kids, uh, and it has been this kind of confluence of all these wherever you are planning to go or where you came from ta2 has become an amazing competition you know 52 cars on the grid at coda for our season finale yeah that, that was pretty awesome john uh and i think that for those who are not familiar with trans am uh you know and even i thought i was familiar with trans am and then i showed up in this a couple years back at sebring and I remember just walking through what seemed like an endless paddock with a lot of race cars and looking at the depth of the teams and the kind of elevated professionalism, even though you're controlling costs. This is a, a real professional racing series. It looks front line when you walk through your paddock. And the cars are beautifully presented, well prepared. Drivers I've heard of, uh, either coming up or established talent. Yeah. What is the class structure, just explain it to someone who walks into the paddock for the first time, because I think we have many people who are... So are... Yeah, the, there are five classes of competition. Yeah. The top two are purpose-built two-frame race cars with silhouette bodies. Uh, the, the Trans Am class is your 800-horsepower monsters uh, that are capable of easily 200 miles per hour and... 18-inch uh, tires and wheels are coming to the series in 2022. 
courtesy Great. of Pirelli. Yep. Uh, the tire testing has been completed. It was a home run success. Right. So we're, we're going to see lap times improve by two or three seconds uh, on probably almost any given circuit. Uh, they're faster, but they're also a lot more drivable. Uh, the 16-inch the tire was really designed for other racing series, and it had a little bit of roll as they were, yeah. cars were going through corners. Very hard to drive. On the 18-inch platform, it has smoothed that out, and they're just really going to be a great, great tire for the class. TA2. Uh, looks very similar to TA. Uh, Mustangs, Camaros, Challengers is the pure focus there. 530 horsepower uh, cars uh, or engines and three chassis builders. So it's very regimented. Cost caps on a lot of pieces and parts. A very affordable Pirelli radial tire and uh, racing budgets that can come in at $300,000 for the year. I mean, yes, I said $300,000 for the year for a major pro championship that features uh, 30 guys that are capable of moving on in their careers in a, in a very short amount of time. The yeah. Uh, yeah. three production classes are called Extreme GT, Super GT, and GT. So it's really just uh, varying degrees of performance with the XGT being your your Audi R8s and things like that, uh, Porsche's 911 uh, Turbo Cups cars, Super GT is a step below that, but still uh, tuner shop prepared. And then GT cars are the least of the performance window, really more of a club, SECA club racing crossover where it, not a lot of, t uh, what I would say, tune shop, just uh, low level performance enhancements. Got it, and then when I'm, when I'm at a race, I walk in and I see the T8-2 race is a standalone event, yeah, and, and the TA race uh, it, at most events has a, a combined field, correct? Yes, that's uh, the format, both of those uh, being a 100-mile race format, unless there's some sort of uh, time constraints to a, a race weekend. Most of our race weekends are with uh, a component that is, they're called Speed Tour. Yes. Uh, they have a SVRA historic component, uh, which often includes cars like that I have in my backdrop yes. um, as Group 10. And uh, most of our weekends are going to have Formula uh, FR, the Formula Regional Championship uh, that's based on F3, and then the F4 Championship that's FIA, uh, part of the world system. So you, you throw that all together, and, and honestly, if you can't find something there as a race fan that you're attracted to, then you must not like racing because <laughs> there's car shows with yeah. 500 cars, parades for those cars, open wheel racing, our uh, cutthroat transam racing, and then vintage racing. It's a little bit of everything. And it seems to be uh, for sure something that's growing in interest because year to year, even with COVID, our attendance numbers just continue to 
go up and up to the point where at a place like Watkins Glen, you're almost looking at a full infield and you're scratching your head going, wow, this is, this is amazing. You know, a, a, a line of cars all the way down to the village. And uh, Mike Printa once grabbed me, he grew up in Detroit and he grew up watching Trans Am downtown yeah. Formula One and he's been a fan ever since. So you just never know where you're going to find your fan base. Well, that's uh, that's a good lead into another question I'm going to have for you here. Um, I'm going to come back to that one in a minute. Put a marker down. Um, but you know, you just touched on something. Is that there's some promotion budget obviously going against this uh, to to grow this audience. But you've been doing this with <clears throat> effectively with a fraction of the resources that a NASCAR or an IndyCar or any other top-level professional series has, yet it's happening anyhow. Uh, the audience is finding you, and we see it on racer.com. I don't know if you've uh, paid it much attention, but the share counts on your stories, and the, we see the page views, uh, especially when we have, uh, quote, drivers that are crossover from other places that have fan base and they're well-known, they're elevating the other drivers in your series by being in your series. and just watching the world react to Ernie Francis Jr.'s performance in the SRX series this year uh, was heartwarming because we've all seen him in Trans Am and know what he has. He's, he's something very special. Uh, when you look at all this, you know, what is the, the goal? You know, because you've, you've, been, you've devoted your life to the series, bringing it to this point. It's on the, the cusp of a, a, another you know, big step forward. What do you want to do with this? Where is it going? Well, I, I think you know, my whole thing since 2011 might be considered baby steps that you could afford to take. And every year uh, to, to, to increase the budget and throw it right back into the, the series and continue to build it. So uh, ultimately the goal is to, you know, find a, a title sponsor that would like to put uh, some serious money into this that, that can then be parlayed into significant increases in the prize money to make uh, our competitors, um, you know, give them the opportunity to build uh, their budgets up, but it, you know, it's just, I think over a 10 year period, just taking incremental steps, there's probably a hundred more steps I'd like to take as the budget allows. And right. ultimately today's world of a digital platform and finding your fan base is a lot more affordable than it used to be where mm -hmm. you had to do a, a broad shotgun approach, spending tons of money in the market to attract yeah. agreed and now you can target it very carefully and, and i think it makes a difference it sure does and and again we you know you can just see it in the engagement numbers here and uh i think that you've uh, also your drivers have some sass to them uh they, they they generate a little heat on social i think that's always good um and where i think that you know i'm going with this is that do you see yourself back on a, you know, is one of your goals to be back on a weekend like a, a Detroit Grand Prix now that it's back downtown? Uh, 
is that you, you were there with uh, TA2 not long ago? Is that is that an ultimate goal of yours? Clearly, uh, the with that goal also comes you know the how how do you do all this stuff where. Uh, you know, we we did break out and go to the Music City Grand Prix in 2021. Clearly, uh, in my mind, biased as it is, it was the best show of the weekend, mm -hmm. and uh, a firm commitment to to bring us back uh, is is in place. So we're going back to Music City, uh, an incredible yeah. event. Uh, Detroit, um, I don't. Yes, for sure. Detroit is the the home of uh, you know, automotive industry for the America, and it needs to be the home of Trans Am Racing. Uh, we're in, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, take a confidentialities, but ultimately when the Grand Prix returns to the streets uh, near downtown, maybe there's going to be an opportunity for Trans Am to go back there. I have an annual conversation with uh, Jim McKellian at Long Beach. So it's just, taking the opportunities, seeing how they work against our 25 race package that is the speed tour, and then figuring out what makes sense to the competitors. And that's, you know, number one thing is I, I got to keep the team budgets that they can work with. Right. I could have 20 races right now. It's, you know, it's just, um, you know, where my team's our sweet spot is 11 or 12 races. Mm -hmm. So that sweet spot can go up if I increase prize money. So that's the formula. That is the formula. And, and you know, again, your restraint uh, is admirable. Your discipline in managing this series is admirable. Uh, uh, I, I, you haven't been talked out of what you know works. And You've also been willing to experiment in some areas, you know, successfully and sometimes not successfully, but you've learned, you know, racing is learning, so you're learning. Um, you now have a, you know, a, a different relationship with SCCA Pro going forward, and, and you want to talk a little bit about that. Sure. You know, I would, you know, the illusion of things that don't work, we, we learned that in 2021 with the subscription-based uh, live stream. Yeah. So... We're aborting that and going back to a free live stream. Uh, fans ought to love that opportunity to see Thank us you. Uh, <laughs> live, you know, live stream most all of our events, and that'll integrate to YouTube and and uh, all the other platforms around the world that are interested in having Trans Am on their social media platform. Um, so that's coming as well. Uh, the SECA component, um, my mentor and owner of Trans Am, Tony Perella, has orchestrated a, a deal for SECA Pro Racing to now be part of the Perella Motorsports Holdings uh, companies. And it won't really probably to a common fan be any different at all. Mm -hmm. There are some things that will streamline us in internal operations, but I don't see it being something that a race fan's gonna notice the difference with that being part of the family. But uh, we have a 25 year relationship with SECA that's uh, the, the marketing rights to Trans Am. 
Formula for FR and SECA Pro are now all integrated into a multi-decade relationship. So uh, all of this will just continue to grow and prosper and uh, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> well, that's great. And that's where we met each other was when you were uh, the, running the uh, uh, communications end of, uh, of SECA Pro Racing uh, when we were both, uh, I think you were nine years old and I was 10. Um, <laughs> but indeed. Uh, yeah yes uh, yes indeed so uh, but but one of the things I think that really strikes me about Trans Am when you're in a paddock it's pure the people there are there because they simply want to race without the BS there's a lot of uh, I feel chamber music going on when you walk into many paddocks around the world and I run into a lot of people, they're just there to race. There's not a lot of posing going on. There's people get want to strap into these rockets and go race each other, and then they get along for the most part. And That's the thing that, you know, I, I thought racing was like that everywhere, but it's not. And, it, and Trans Am has had that since it is a family environment yeah. And I think, you know, there, obviously there, it's a cliche that the families are, are, are in their individual paddock spots, but we have 50 families that meld together and, and it's sometimes, you know, it's heartwarming to see that on the racetrack, they're out there to, you know, beat their competitor. Uh, but if you get off the racetrack and you're missing a piece and part to make to the next session, there's going to be somebody in the paddock to help you. Yeah. And that's, you know, that started with Jack Roush as the factory monster that didn't have to help anybody, but he did. Yeah. He helped all the independents that needed help. And to the point of even he would take his crew and go help an independent fix their car if it broke. And that's been there for as long as I've been there. And I think that's awesome. And that's the spirit, I think, of the Trans Am that's kept me, and that was what, what got me so enthralled with it in the beginning. And I'm, I want to thank you on, uh, on, on behalf of all us fans of the Trans Am for keeping it going, and, and also to Tony for his uh, um, you know, emotional and financial commitment to the series to, to make it the thing that it deserves to be. Uh, and congratulations to all of your 2021 Trans Am champions. They, they're part of a great story now. Thank you, Paul, and uh, thank you for you know, the opportunity to speak about Trans Am today. Always love talking about Trans Am, John. <laughs> thank you very much, John, for being with us uh, today. The concept for e-park trade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for e-park trade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in 
all you need to do is click on request more information. If it's a company, you click on request more information and then from there it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At ePartrade, there is no e-commerce. It's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your work day in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of ePart Trade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. ePart Trade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. There are two types of people, racers and everyone else. Racer Magazine is for those who believe that racing is a way of life. Racer embodies the excellence that defines a sport driven by passion, courage, and ingenuity. Get one year of both Racer's print and digital edition for only $39 with instant access to our entire digital issue archive. Subscribe now at info.racer.com.